2: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
3: Yo, everybody, welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less. I'm Ray Harkins, the host, and I am so excited to be talking to you from my home office. The reason that's exciting is because I've moved into my new house and I've been living with my parents for like a year and almost a half and now I'm in my own space where I don't have to record in some weird places. It's it is it is so nice to say that. <laughs> Anyways, yay, let's celebrate! And I'm going to celebrate by bringing a guest on the show that I have. Uh, I I just never thought that I would be lining this dude up to talk because um yeah I just didn't um I, I frankly didn't think he was that interested in talking about his old band, but John Franco, the guitarist and vocalist for a band called By a Thread. Which, if you do not know by a thread, you are severely missing out on some incredible music. They put out uh, a couple records on Revelation. Uh, Most people commonly love the Last of the Daydreams record. Uh, I do as well. I also really like their self titled record they put out. They also put out some splits, but the two Rev records, the ones you need to check out. And if you're a fan of like Quicksands, you know, like early 2000s, sort of post hardcore slash, you know, emo, you are. Absolutely, going to love by a thread. He also played in a hardcore band called Strain, which was incredibly important in the mid 90s. And uh, yeah, I got to give a major shout out to uh, Rich Hall, who recently just had a kid. Shout out to Rich. Uh, he hooked this up and it was amazing. I just posted on Facebook, people directed me to this person, and John and I were talking. So awesome stuff indeed. What else am I got to tell you about? Rockabilia.com, right? Rockabilia is the place where you should buy all of your band merch. No questions asked. And what I'm going to do is, I am going to give you a code that will help you get 15% off. It's PC 100 words or less. So PC 100 words or less. And that is going to get you 15% off basically any piece of merch that you were looking on there. They have over 500,000 pieces of merch from shirts to sweatshirts to long sleeves to hats, whatever it is you want, they got it. And it's officially licensed as well, so that means the band is getting paid the most amount of money and it's not some crappy bootleg stuff. So, Rockabilia, the best. Please visit them, use the promo code, tell them this show in particular sent you and uh, yeah, you're just going to reap the benefits and rewards of looking cool in band merch because uh I can tell you that a uh, 37-year-old that has mountains and mountains of band merch, I know a thing or two about it. <laughs> and my wife may completely just hate this ad because I'm encouraging people to buy more merch. And she's like, you need to buy it less. So anyways, um, what else do I got to tell you? NoEcho.net. Please visit them. It's a great website. Awesome, awesome content. I'm actually having Carlos, the proprietor of said website, over, uh, for a podcast at some point in the near future. And, uh, that's going to be a fun one. So please visit them. They've got great features, in-depth interviews, anything in relation to punk and hardcore. That's what uh, they got going on there. So please visit them. And, um, yeah, some other exciting episodes I have coming up and I will tell you about after the show's over. So tune in, tune in, like you're going to, you know, tune your radio. So stay around after the, uh, you know, conversation is over with John. So like I said, buy a thread, I, I was lucky enough to see them once. And it was actually funny because I remember I, uh, my car got broken into that night. <laughs> so, but it, when I say broken into, it was my dumb, dumb fault for not locking the door. And someone just, uh, I think they took some change and I think they took some of the band merch that I bought. So I had to buy two t-shirts from Buy a thread. Cause, uh, yeah, I did do that. Anyways. Um, Yeah, John was incredibly gracious with his time. You could tell he was excited to talk about this stuff and kind of take a trip down memory lane in uh, a a non, like, you know, old man, get off my lawn sort of way. So, uh, yeah, that's what we got going on. So let's do this, right? All right, here's John. I will talk to you after the episode is over. And um, so I, I'm from Southern California. I'm in like my mid-30s. And so I actually got to see you guys when you played Coos Cafe in San oh, Ana. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, did you play with Elliot there? I can't recall who else you played with.
1: I, th- I think it was Farside.
3: There you go. That was right. Okay. Um, but I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just remember being excited because, you know, I basically consumed everything that Rev put out. And so you know, here kind of out of left field was by a thread and I was like, Oh, I'll check this out. And I was like, Oh, this is really good. I got to see them. Um, it seemed, it seemed to me, you know, I mean, cause I also was touring around the same time with my own hardcore band and the notion of touring was, um, you know, a much more difficult proposition to like, f- you know, not only book the show but get people to show up to the show. Um, was yes. it, Uh, you know, and I realize this is probably maybe a big question to start off with, but like, you know, (laughs) how do you, how do you kind of reflect on, you know, the touring experiences that you had with by a thread? Because I'm sure a lot of it was, was challenging.
1: Well, it was, it was challenging from the start for sure. (laughs) Okay. Um, Our first West coast tour, I, I don't think, um, included that Coos cafe show from what I'm trying to access these blocks of memories. Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the first show down the West Coast, uh, our first tour, um, it was, you know, it started off pretty well in, in Portland. And then uh, from then on, I think I think there was like nobody at Gilman Street. It was just us. It was so crazy. It was like nobody there, like right. zero. <laughs> so we're like, OK, are we going to play this thing? Uh, so just, there's like photos of us sitting on the stage like, oh, man, I can't believe like nobody showed up like. I don't know what happened. If anyone even uh, put out posters or something, but we were just stoked to be in Gilman Street. So, but so we played the show to nobody. It's you know staff, and then uh, we went down, and uh, I mean, you know, weather is challenging in the winter as well. And uh, I don't know. We just pretty much financed that one ourselves. I think we actually ran into a van problem and had had to get the transmission fixed. <laughs> like stuck in the mountains somewhere and that that was another three grand so we had to call up our our support network and they helped us out and uh yeah it's it's not easy starting out for sure and it doesn't matter really especially for us Canadians you know like find that it's kind of hard to break into the American markets or whatever it is uh, no matter what where you came from in the path, like, we came from strain, the hardcore band. And right. uh, I mean, we, we, we played some really big shows in, in California, but people didn't really, you know, they didn't really think of us as those hardcore kids. So um, I don't think, I think mean, some, some of the draw came from strain possibly, but it was, we were like completely separate from the hardcore scene for some reason, even though we were hardcore kids and, and, we thought we
3: were playing hardcore <laughs> totally. Yeah. It, it's just, yeah, so. um, you know, it's, it's post hardcore and like, yeah, I, I exactly. <laughs> I, and I think, I think Vancouver in general is just such a interesting, you know, scene because there is, um, you know, clearly there have been bands that have come from there and it's, you know, it's proximity to, you know, Seattle and Portland and everything else kind of, you know, puts you a part of the Northwest scene, but it, it is, even even close to the proximity of those things, it is such a difficult task to be like, hey, hey uh, can you pay attention to us? Like, you know, and we're only about two hours away from our hometown. Like, can anybody show up to this thing?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Every city has like a different sort of take on that. Like, certain certain places it seems like it's just kind of more of a social event, and they just you know just kind of hanging. And other other places. There's people just love music in general, like just go out to to any show kind of thing, because they love live music. And then there's, you know, then you get into the places with the big hardcore scenes or or whatever. And uh, yeah, certain certain places. We felt that California was a it was a definitely a hard place for us to play at times, um, but we've also had some pretty uh, like memorable experiences there as well so
3: right yeah it's um, pros and pros and cons everywhere
1: yeah and that's just touring so like that's like as anywhere you go you just don't know what's gonna happen
3: it's, tr- <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> no. a little
1: scary yes yeah, it's, it's true changing on on these shows like, like your your transports can fail or like finances fail or yeah so uh, we've all been we've been there many times and and you just manage to pull through and it's and in the end it's you know and yeah it's just the love for the music that's that's all that's driving you you know you don't care about the risks right so
3: yeah oh absolutely, yeah, um and so, you know, kind of we'll we'll jump around here, but, you know, kind of focusing on you as a person, because, you know, usually when I'm doing, you know, research for these chats that I do, you know, it's generally easy to find information about most people. But for whatever reason, you know, by thread and strain in general is, you know, there isn't a bunch of stuff in regards to, you know, how you guys came up and, you know, where you all came from personally. But were you, you know, you yourself, were you born and raised in Vancouver? Where'd you come up?
1: Yeah, so I was born and raised in Vancouver and, uh, um, you know, just got into uh, skateboarding in like the kind of mid to late 80s and uh, got got into hardcore that way. So everything's kind of, everything stemmed off skateboarding at the time. It was just, it was kind of huge back in the late 80s kind of thing. So like I was, I don't remember, I was a young kid and... I just found my voice skateboarding, you know? And, uh, at that time it was all linked together with music. So you'd, you'd go to like a skate competition and there was like, like no means no playing it or something like that. Right. It's so like, like, which was a huge inspiration from, for me, like as a kid, that, that no means no band. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, it was all just linked together and with people that you, uh, could uh relate to and it was it was really cool and then you know as soon as i started playing as soon as i started finding out that i wanted to play in a band i my parents bought me bass and uh just kind got, got together with some friends and it just kind of you know snowballs it snowballed from there
3: got so, it got it and what was your um you know how i mean i guess how did you kind of like your introduction point to you know more independent minded music cuz you know i presume that even though vancouver is you know a l- large metropolitan city um you know it wasn't uh, given to you by like you know maybe your, your 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 mom or your dad it was maybe older brother older sister or you know friends at school like you said skateboarding obviously was a huge thing
1: yeah i think i think it all it came from friends from from some family like my sister was into the Smiths and, you know, some cool shit. And, uh, you know, and mostly from, like, from my friends and possibly skate, skate videos. <laughs> like, hearing cool cool skate rock. I was just, like, so pumped on it. Right. Uh, at the <laughs> yeah. time. I, just, even, yeah, I was like, what is this? Then And then uh, I heard Minor Threat for the first time. I was like, fuck, that's it. I was just like, uh, this is it. I was like, i just living, breathing this. Right. Cool stuff and you know i was just discovering it for the first time and uh me and my brother were just like like yeah we just loved it we love fugazi we love minor threat and kind of mix them together you know sure and it, i think it it actually you know if you listen to some by Threat, you can tef- definitely hear that stuff in there but uh
3: right right um, and was your was your brother older or younger than you he's younger okay got it um and, you know, as you started to, you know, bring this, you know, probably weird music and weird subculture home, like, you know, what, what was your parents, you know, take on it? And, you know, like, what did they do for a living? And what was your kind of the, the makeup of the household?
1: Oh, well, yeah, my, my dad drove a truck at the time, like, got it. And uh, my mom worked in a, in a hospital and, uh, yeah, so they they were able to, to buy, Buy me bass. Buy me a bass on a cool amp at the time. Like, um, I'm pretty surprised he actually did that. I mean, I probably cost him a lot of money at the time. And then I needed someone to play drums. Play drums. I need someone to jam with. So I was like, Hey, you're playing drums, Joe. He's like, What? <laughs> so, so we went and found this cool old Pearl kit, like '60s Pearl kit with like sparkles on it. And uh, I just kind of threw him behind the kit, and he just uh, just went from there. and yeah, I and mean, he turned into the, the freaking amazing drummer, so right. Um, yeah. So we, we kind of learned together um, we brought uh, I mean I guess my brother was always kind of just watching where you know where I was heading in a way, you know as being the, the bigger brother. I guess he he loves skateboarding and and uh, he started skateboarding himself and he just, he just loved the same music as me and we mm-hmm. just really meshed that way. Got so, it. my parents were very supportive, like super supportive of what we were doing, no matter how crazy the music probably sounded to them. Sure, you know? <laughs> they were just like, "Cool, right on, keep doing it." You know, like jamming in the basement, wrecking our ears, and uh, just being loud. You know, being able to do that.
2: Yeah, that's
1: without very- that, without that, uh, that support. You know, with kids like you kind of need that to get anywhere. So, we're lucky. gotta
3: be lucky yeah that's that's really cool um and vancouver is also uh, in my experience there it's a it's such an interesting city because you have um you know i mean most major metropolitan areas you know in north america have this vibe of you know there's you know a a downtown a cultural hub a center where it's like you know this is where the tourists go and it's really nice and blah 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 um but i've I just so distinctly remember in Vancouver where it's like, you know, it's almost like by the block, like, you know, you have your eight blocks near, you know, the, you know, the, all your tourist destinations. But then it's like, if you go like a block north or south of that, there's some, I mean, it's just like super seedy places. And it's just like, wow, like this is, you know, you're looking at it across the street and it's so different. Um, you know, what was your experience with Vancouver in general?
1: Well, Vancouver's changed so much in the last even fifteen years, uh-huh. even ten years. Like it's, uh, it's it's definitely turned into I don't know, I, like anything that was cool, <laughs> anything that had to do with music and 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 like anything to do with the music scene is pretty much washed away with you know, corporate interests and foreign interests and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, it, all the cool old clubs are gone. All the seedy cool old cl- clubs are gone. So, like growing up it wasn't so spread out. It wasn't so like rich and poor kind of thing or like drug, the drug addict scene was still going on, but it was not nearly as segregated, I guess, you know? So, uh, right now it's, it's not what it used to be. It was, it was, it was a cool creative city with a lot of places to, uh, to express your whatever, to, to just do your thing. So, um, yeah, I, it's, I can run through the whole history of Vancouver, you know, but uh, yeah. it's, it's, but it was a lot, it's, it's a lot easier for us to do what we were doing back then. I wouldn't even know uh, how we do it now, you know, it's cause there's just nowhere to, to play. Right. Right. Games.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. You definitely go through, especially when you're talking about, you know, all, all ages environments or, you know, even whatever, 18, 19 plus, um, You definitely find in most cities that you have your, you know, peaks and valleys of like, oh man, there's like so many places to play, and then all of a sudden they just go away because you know one reason or another, and then it it definitely takes people being highly motivated to start up a new space and to be able to like preserve that for a prolonged period of time. It's a hard hard
1: task. Exactly. I mean, all that effort. Once it's gone, it's so hard to get back, and it's never the same. And then you lose. You lose some people, and uh, you know, and and then uh, you just got to keep trying. And that's how the, the hardcore scene is out here. I haven't been to a hardcore show in Vancouver in a long time. And I, I feel bad for it, but like uh, the kids are just—they're doing their thing. They're they're building something out here, and it's really cool to see. And uh, I mean, I, I love that pure pure stuff. You know, like away from the whole rock scene and whatever the shiny club scene that's down on Granville Street up here, you know. So um there's they're still wanting they want their their time and they're doing it, which is pretty inspiring.
3: Right, right. Um and, and so then kinda of, you know reflecting on, you know, your uh you know, as you started to develop your own identity, like you said, you know, where you were getting into skateboarding and, you know, you're playing with your brother. Um you know were were you i mean just from our our brief conversation here, you know it sounds like you were a pretty you know kind of chill and low key dude um was that kind of the case of who you were like in high school and as you started to you know get more involved with music
1: um, yeah, so I guess well skateboarding was looked looked down upon pretty much when I was like me and my couple friends were the like only skateboarders in the, in the school, so um we were like the outcasts <laughs> like. It's not like that anymore. Like, but uh, we were, you know, we we'd be chased down the block by rockers or (laughs) by by whoever gang member. People just wanted to fight us all the time for some reason. So, uh, um, yeah, we were it was kind of that way. And uh, even even music, I guess, like I guess that's what kind of drew me to the next. um, You know, drew me into music after skateboarding. It was just it's like a continuation of what I was doing already, like, with the same people, same like-minded people, I just felt like, hey, you know, going to my first show in Vancouver, it was like, it was a spark marker show, I think it's, the Smalls played in a band called Cat's Game, at this place called uh, Arcadian Hall, it doesn't exist anymore, it's on Main Street, it was on Main Street, but uh, it was like, uh, it was just like, hey man, these, these are my people, I feel... Like, I belong here. And, and you know, everyone was on the same speed, and it was just, like, pretty awesome, man, to find that. And from then on, I was just, like, hooked. You know, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm just into starting a, a cool band with my friends. And it was it was all just about starting a band with my brother and my friends. And, you know, like, just being close. And, I, and that's what vibes Red was. So, like... Brothers,
3: pretty much. Oh. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you yourself, you didn't, you did not play in Strain, right? So By Thread was ostensibly kind of your first band.
1: No, so Strain was Strain was well the first band. Yeah, <laughs> many many different. Uh, sure. Yeah, it started off with a band called Thumbscrew actually, and okay, uh, they were, We were just we we're just like this punk rock kind of fast punky sort of hardcore band. And I was really into Ray Capo singing, so I kind of tried to sing like Ray Capo <laughs> But uh, yeah, I started off with them, and then we played some shows and I got to meet Jody from String And he was a big inspiration to me. Like growing up, he's like he was older than me. All, the string guys were older than me, and I was just really into their band. They just they took it so seriously, they just walked in with you know one of these shows. It's pretty much their kid shows. <laughs> Like kids right. playing, playing, you know, they bring all their crazy gear there, like huge Marshall stacks, and at least that's what it seemed like to me. But when I look back, you know, it's, it wasn't Marshall stacks, but it just seems like these guys are bringing in this huge gear, and then they just pound it, like just killed it, and they were so heavy, and they were so pro, and I was I was like taken with that work ethic that they had, sure, and uh, yeah, so. Got to meet Jody and and uh, we hung out a lot and um, went to shows and then I got to meet Sean and uh, me and Sean became really good friends. Like he's like he was my best friend at the time and and uh, we just continued. Yeah, we just went on and they had a guitar player. Uh, Screen had a guitar player and uh, it was Greg Bernardo and uh, I guess something happened and he left the band. And then there was a hole in the lineup, so I was like, and I w- in the meantime I was like, you know, I worked a job, like out of high school, and I saved enough money to buy a Gibson SG and a full Marshall stack. <laughs> I was just like, yes, eighteen year old year old with a full Marshall stack and a and a Gibson SG. So then, uh, I in the meantime I was actually learning all the strain songs. So, um, Sean came to me and we were. We were kind of jamming, and he's like, Hey, can you play this riff? And it was like a riff to one of the newer stream songs. And I played it, and uh, he was like, Really impressed. And he wanted to, he's just like, Hey, you want to join stream? I'm like, fuck yes. Like, let's do this. Right. You're like, Of course. I was waiting for this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like dream come true. Like, wow, this is fucking awesome. Um, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, we've stream lasted for. Uh, a little while we went on tour in, in Europe Strain did a Europe tour without me and with Jinx playing guitar from Brand Unit and uh, after that I was in the band and also um, Chris Baze Chris Walker he joined the band after that and uh, um, yeah we just became this, the second coming of Strain
3: <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah. and did you and that was kind of your first touring experience like because I mean S- Strain you know did what you guys could I mean you weren't you know on the road 300 days out of the year but you know you you were pretty active so did you like uh, I guess the touring lifestyle and, and that sort of stuff immediately or was that something that you know you had to become adjusted to once you were out there
1: well the first tour we did with Strain was down the west coast I think we played we played with Strife and uh, I can't remember what town i know that eric he's like he's a photo he's a photogenic memory ever so <laughs> you remember exactly the time and date and the place that we played but i i just can't remember um yeah we the first time we just crammed into jenks's old chevy van and we had like our marshall cabs in the back and we were like sleeping on the marshall cabs The <laughs> like, on the way down like driving 24 hours you know like straight from vancouver which is what you need to do to uh drive to la i guess if you want to get there in one day right right it takes 24 hours to drive straight but uh um yeah so this band was just kind of shitty and uh but at the same time i'm like with my my dudes my bros that i look up to and and playing with strife like holy shit (laughs) it's this big uh Like I was 18 years old at the time now. So it's like, like it was kind of a big deal um, for me. Those guys have already been doing it for so many years. Like Eric is, 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 has been doing it since like the early 80s. So he's been in some pretty crazy bands. So it's like, and he's also, he also ran that radio show called uh, Flex Your Head in Vancouver on this, uh, on UBC radio. And so I listened to him all the time and there he is I'm using my band right and we're driving down down to play with Strife so and that was the show that we got uh I guess Mike Hartsfield came out to that show and asked us to sign to New Age Records
3: right and were, were you just um I guess were you just kind of like in in awe at this stuff that was happening because it was something you probably you know couldn't have anticipated you doing a year before or whatever
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what you'd call it. It's it's definitely an awe situation, but uh, it it just happened so quickly where I'm just trying to take it in and, you know, being young like that, like you kind of take it for granted. But at the same time, yeah, I was just like thrilled. I just didn't know know if it would last or like, it just, it was pretty unreal. Yeah. like. It's like everything that I, uh, that I wanted and it's happening. Like it's just it's like s- the stepping stones were happening, you know, like, and, uh, I at my, you know, I was, that's just, uh, kind of, it's really hard to even imagine at this time. Like I can't really put myself in that situation, but I was definitely excited. So, and I yeah. kind of, I held my, my excitement in, you know, you don't want to show.
3: Right. Play, play it cool. <laughs> right, are right. going to be cool. Like, okay, I'm cool.
1: Yeah. I just losing my mind really. So
3: And did you did you like touring? Like, you know, just the concept of, you know, being away from home and kind of, you know, experiencing new stuff like that?
1: I, I loved it. I loved being out there. I loved uh you know, driving through strange towns, like pulling into weird truck stops, like <laughs> I just I I thought it was awesome. It's just like it's an adventure and and at the you know, we're we're traveling, seeing the world together. And then at the same time, we're playing music to people who uh, kind of you know, hopefully they know our music, and hopefully they'll sing along kind of thing. So it was—I uh, really I loved it. There's, I mean, our European tour was like two months long, and we played like eleven different countries at that time, and and that was you know that got a little crazy being in a ba- in a van with uh, all the guys. Um, some of us went a little crazy, but. uh in the end, like, it just brought us together, and we still talk about that Euro Euro tour like t- to this day. So, like we're like those are some of the best days of our lives, you know.
2: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small. Like man, that parking space—it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate.
3: Pardon this interruption, but I have to tell you about an amazing, amazing partner of ours, and that is SeatGeek. It is the easiest, smartest way to get tickets for any type of live event, sports, concerts, whatever it is. If you're searching for a last-minute deal or you need the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats, the best prices, absolutely guaranteed. I have a SeatGeek app. It's unbelievable. So just download on your phone and... I can be anywhere and figure out what it is that I want to do that evening, what shows I want to go to, what sporting events. And honestly, I actually just went to a Lakers game recently, and uh, it was like maybe a couple days before. And I was like, you know what? I want to see what uh, what deals there are. And it's great because they have this color-coded system that shows you seats that are very good deals and seats that are like, dude, don't buy that. That's terrible. And uh, it's just so easy. I love it. They also grade every single ticket. Every single ticket in that venue based on value and every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop without being scared, make SeatGeek geek, your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports to comedy shows to concerts, to whatever it is, you will be able to find it on SeatGeek. geek. Best of all, listeners of this very show get $20 off their first SeatGeek geek purchase. So download the app. Like I told you to, and enter the promo code words today, W O R D S. And that's twenty dollars off. Basically that's me taking you out for an evening. So how about we go to a basketball game? How about we go to a hockey game? Something like that. All right? Use the promo code words, get twenty dollars off, enjoy Seat Geek. All right, now on with the show. What were you quote unquote supposed to do, you know, after you graduated high school, like as far as, you know, a job and like what you were interested in, or was that like not even something that concerned you because you were so all consumed by music?
1: Well, it's definitely all consumed by music skateboarding, um, music was starting to take over. Um, but my, you know, so I graduated and my parents were like, if you're not going to school, you're going to work. So uh, I'm like, okay. So my, my dad found me a job at some steel mill. And it was like a 10-hour-a-day, four-day-a-week job, like a serious job. Like I've never worked a day in my life at that point. So, you know, waking up at 5 a.m., Going in and, you know, there's people that are all older than me and, like, some of them ranging to, like, 65 or something like that with the, the worst scowls on their faces. Like, they're so, like, not liking their life. You could tell. It, just, it was so bad. Like guess, like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was able to do what I, you know, I was able to save up some money and, at the time and, you know, I was able to get some gear and then, you know, quit that job. But, uh, yeah, that was something... I guess that was another thing. I was just like, "Wow, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to live like this. Like, no way, I could be one of these guys. it's like, not for me."
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's funny because I do. I like that that thought process because you know when you are that age between the you know whatever seventeen to you know twenty five or whatever, and you see how certain people you know fall into things and, you know most of us ostensibly fall into some line of work that is like oh this isn't directly related to you know what i'm doing or what i'm passionate about but then the ones that just turn so sour and bitter and then all you do you're just like i want to do everything in my life possible to not be that and you're like i don't know what that means but i just don't want to be that
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's a uh, it's a blatant sign on the road do not take this road you know it's like we uh, will not go down that one Right, so, kind of lucky that I experienced that. Um, Def- it's like a rude awakening to like I had no idea it was like that. I came home with like knots in my back and like like what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> and, like, just like getting it you know, felt like I was overworked. I was just like soft little guy, you know, soft old young dude. So
3: right, right, right. Uh-huh. Um, and did you ever handle any of the like business stuff for strain, or was that something that you know really? I mean, I, I know. Most band members, you know, contribute to the democracy that is a band. But, you know, were you um, involved in any of those, like booking shows or, you know, talking to record labels and that sort of stuff?
1: Uh, It was mostly uh, Eric and Jody, I guess. Um, Sean was involved as well, but uh, Eric pretty much took the reins. He knew everybody. He knew Pusshead and all those guys. So, like, he just had a relationship with with all these people for for many years already. So, like, even Florian in in Germany with Hard First Mm -hmm. Records. He put out uh, some fratricide stuff back in the day, and um, yeah. So it was mostly Eric. He pretty much did everything. He showed us around on tour, like the the good burrito joints and stuff. (laughs) Right, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you always (laughs) usually,
3: yeah, usually always have to have one or two people being kind of you know the band, the band dad or whatever, being like, oh, okay, here we go. It's just you know because otherwise you've got if you have five people doing the same thing, it's like that's not efficient.
1: Yeah. And it works kind of, you know, like kind of work. You need kind of a plan. And that's something else, like you know, being a bad like you don't really think about it in the business sense. I wasn't at all. And uh, I mean, you need a plan. Like it's healthy to have a business plan because that's what, kind of what you're doing. Right. Now that I look back on it, I wish I went right down, you know, I just did it as a business mostly, like, and approached it that way. Like I'm sure like, it would have been different now, but right. Yeah. It's all about the love at that point.
3: Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, when you start having to make those business decisions, you're not, it's just a function of your situation as opposed to the plan that you've set forth. You know, it's not like, Oh yeah, we got to do this because of this. It's not like, Oh yeah, well here's, you know, step 15 on a 40 step program or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So.
3: Um, and so then you know as you know strain you know clearly did make a you know impact on you know the mid ninety you know mid 90s hardcore scene um you know and their name is obviously still you know mentioned and revered from that perspective uh, but as the you know touring life started to die down with that were you doing like strain and by a thread kind of at the same time or is that was that kind of two separate
1: things um yeah so in in, uh, on tour and on that uh, Euro tour, Sean and I were at Soundcheck. We'd just, you know, hey, I got a riff. And uh, he'd, he'd play a, like a bi thread riff, and I'd play one. It wasn't bi thread Like, it was just, hey, we've got to, let's, let's do something different, you know? Like, how about we just kind of change it up for a little bit? Because we're just kind of, you know, this is awesome, but we, you know, as musicians, we want to kind of push forward and explore new realms, you know? <laughs> so. Um, even though it's not that far off, it's, it's a little more melodic, but like, it, it's just, yeah, we were just, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of going through that during that Euro tour. And as we, uh, sort of refined the riffs into songs, we were just like, Hey, this, and we're still doing bathroom at this time. And we were just, uh, like, let's try to, let's try to put this stuff with the drummer. So we got Gabe from brand unit who also played in strain for a little bit. And he plays on a band called Gob now. Um, he played drums. He was the first drummer. And uh, he wrote this song, Tunnel Vision. And uh, it was just kind of like a Fugazi-esque sort of post-hardcore song, I guess. And we were like, hey, this sounds pretty cool. We should you know, continue this. Um, so uh, we were looking or I guess we just say, hey, Joe, you want to play? Because Gabe can't do this full time. So and Joe Joe was in a band, uh, my brother Joe, that is. He was in a band called Capone at the time. And they were a pretty tight, hardcore band, sort of uh, Strain sounding, I guess. And uh, he's just like, yeah, let's do this. I'm, I'm totally into it. So um, that was sort of the beginning. It was just the three of us at the time. So. And Strain was still going. And um, the guys were kind of like, Jody and Eric were, were getting a little frustrated with us like why didn't you want to do this you know like, well, what are you doing right now like we should be doing it we should go on tour and we agreed um, it's just uh, you know after the tour sort of happened with Strain um, there was a bit of uh, bitter bitterness in all of our relationships just, it was just like surface stuff you know but uh, whatever happens on tour for a long time we didn't really tour that much but I mean that it felt like we we were together for a really long time there you know, during that Euro tour. So um, we just needed a little break, and th- those guys were just thinking we're we're trying to you know quit the band and stuff. But uh, as as it kind of went on, uh, By Thread started becoming uh, a little more refined and uh, started writing some of the the songs that were would be on the first record, and and uh, I guess we were playing some shows of strain, and then it just kind of all our attention and we're just like, we need to put all our attention. We're just used to focusing hard on one thing. Usually that's yes, the way we work really hard on one thing and we felt that we wanted to kind of, at this point, work really hard on by threat So um, that's the path that Sean and I chose. And it's kind of kind of sad at the same time. We're thinking like, you know, but we never ever called it quits like with by bi- or the strain. So... But we just never really, after the R End EP, we just kind of never recorded it again.
3: Right. Is... Yeah. So te- technically, strain still exists. You could play a show tomorrow.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, you know, Jody's no longer with us. But, uh,
3: right. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. That's interesting. Cause, yeah, there is a lot of that, you know, weird scene uh, you know drama when band members because you know you're all relatively young you know even if you're in your you know mid-20s you're still young and so the notion of like when people start to do other things either creatively or you know whatever it's it's hard to not feel that you know weirdness or hurt just because you don't know really how to compartmentalize stuff yet because you know you're still a child ostensibly
1: (laughs) exactly and that's i mean it it's exactly just like having a relationship, you know, uh, just a, a relationship with a girl, man. So it's like, it's almost the same feeling. Like you kind of go through the same things mm-hmm. and jealousy involved, there's ups and downs. <laughs> it's, it's, but, you're, but at the same time, you're with like, you're in a relationship with four other irrational dudes, like, you know, hard headed dudes. <laughs> it's, it's not as, you know, pleasant cause sometimes but at the same time it could be like the best thing in the
3: world so yeah for sure (laughs) Uh, um and then uh how how did you guys get hooked up with rev in the first place because it seemed to i mean you know from an outsider's perspective like yes it makes sense the you know hardcore connection from you know strain and existing in the southern california scene as far as that's concerned but um you know, I just remember when because I mean I had a lot of friends and still have a lot of friends that like worked at Rev and I, I never really kind of dug in to like how how did buy a thread end up uh, you know across Rev's desk?
1: That was uh, that's kind of a, yeah, it's a long story. But it starts with like our first show after we, were, we find the songs. Um, we had a couple bass players. One of them was my cousin Johnny. So it was two John Francos in the band at one time, which is weird. That is
3: that's confusing. <laughs>
1: that is confusing so it was like it was dominated by by my family for a bit and then he went off to do something else that he was doing and we got uh kelly who was in another one of my bands in the past um me and my brother played in this band called uh duncan and it was just it was full post hardcore quicksand style stuff you know um we were into like lincoln and hoover and all that kind of stuff. So it really reflected that. And he, we were kind of refined our sounds through that band, um, the bass sound, um, what we really liked. And uh, and I guess Kelly was just learning at that time. But the, but when we asked him to play, he already had some experience, and he just kind of meshed in. And he was our the bass player for um, for you know, lasted daydreams. So then uh, we released the record on this label in in Canada called Landspeed Records it, and it was uh it's the Gob guys guys uh, in that band Gob I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not
3: Yeah absolutely
1: okay yeah and uh so they were just really into us I, they they love string and uh they heard what we were doing and they just loved the the you know the kind of refreshing change that they were hearing and uh they would come out to the shows and I guess their manager at the time Jay Clark he approached me after one of our shows at uh sealant hall in vancouver north Van, and uh he just came to me just he like hey you thinking about putting out your record you'd be into that I'm like uh, yeah i guess like what's this all about like so then he kind of outlined quickly what the plan would be is get us in a you know, lockout studio and and uh you know talked about the money and how he had it all covered and all this stuff and the gov guys were just really behind us and we we're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, God, well, let's do this. Like let's put out the record. So last day daydreams came out on, on, uh, uh land speed records. It, and, uh, it was like in 1998. So it, they came out with all these cool shiny posters and everything. They did it like super well. A lot of effort went involved and obviously a lot of money, but, uh, um, at the same time, we wanted to expand into the states, and and we wanted mostly we want to get back to Europe and play shows in Europe. And we felt that uh, we needed a bigger, a bigger label to back us. At the same time, possibly like making some sort of deal with Landspeed Speed, and uh, maybe we can have another label involved here. And Jay thought that was a good idea. So after one of our shows uh, in in Langley some some big festival punk rock show um uh, it was just packed full of people i think botch may have played that night as well it was just it was just a, this gigantic festival show and we played and, and there was footage of us playing in front of all these people and and it obviously made us look good <laughs> like, sure. okay, let guys have a draw holy shit people going crazy like um and then uh, he brought that footage down and talked to jordan and uh they came up with a deal where Landspeed had Canada and Rev had the rest of the world. And, and which is kind of like, I can't, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that Jay would kind of sign that off, but he believed in us really like, wholeheartedly. So, um, kind of feel bad for him for taking kind of a hit that way. Um, so I'm not, not sure what happened with the finances of that whole thing, but, sure. um, at the same time, like, yeah, so Rev was, it, they were kind of on the fence for a while, but then I remember getting the phone call. It's like, um, hey, uh, Rev wants to sign a deal with you guys. And it was like immense joy. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, holy shit. Can't believe this is happening. It's like kind of jumping all over the place. I Me and my brother. It's like, fuck, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> right. I'm like, holy shit. It's like, I think we're like the only band Signed to Rev in Canada for sure. I think to this date, possibly Spark Market did some did a record.
3: Yeah, that's right. I know you you mentioning did that. A, yeah, you mentioning that. I was just like trying to like. Yeah, that's that's real interesting. <laughs> wow, I never thought about that, but yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, considering they're no longer really pushing to be such a label that they were in the past, so can see that changing. But who knows, right? Um, but that's kind of how that ended up in Yeah, so they had, they they just kind of took it to the next level, like like they we had, I think our first show that they saw us play was actually in New York um, at the Rev Showcase, and uh, we played with like Hot Water Music and uh, I can't remember who else played. It was just it was a gigantic show full of all the Rev like a lot of the Rev bands Mm -hmm. back and stuff, and um, yeah, they were the first time ever getting out. We, we almost didn't make it because we blew a our, blew our rear end on the way. We drove straight from Vancouver. We tried to drive straight from Vancouver to New York, but our van didn't make it. So we had to b- rebuild our, our rear end in like, Nebraska somewhere. <laughs> Some, like, town with only one traffic light. Like, holy shit, we're stuck here. Didn't know if we were going to make it. But, uh, yeah, they... they managed to see us and could tell that they were doing things like on a whole different level and
3: Yeah, Re, well, Re, yeah, Rev, Rev was definitely, I mean, at that time, they were, you know, uh, I was, was Jason Upright your A&R guy there
1: or? Yes, he was.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I worked with him for years. And so I, I, you know, I'm, and like I said, I've, I've known almost everybody at Rev for a long time. So, you know, I usually got to see kind of on the ground floor how these bands were being marketed and, you know, how friends were involved. And so it was, it was, that was the time where, you know, stuff was hitting hot and heavy with Rev. And that was a definitely a golden era of them. Turning a New Leaf, where it's bands of all different styles of, you know, quote-unquote hardcore, whether it's, you know, a band like, you know, Curl Up and Die and Drowning Man, and then you have a band like You Guys, and then there was just so much interesting stuff happening at the time, and it, it all, you know, made sense under the guise of Revelation. But yeah, it, it's cool that you actually have that, you know, positive feeling towards that as opposed to, you know, because it's real easy for band members to be like, oh, yeah, whatever, their label sucked, and it's like, well, it was cool. exciting.
1: Yeah, it's like that's the exciting side of it. I'm sure you know. There's there's sides of it that sucked at the same time, but um, I mean, Jordan's always been cool. Like he's always been cool and supportive of us, even to this day. Like I'm sure I'd call Jordan and say, "Hey, Jordan, maybe I'll you know remix Last of Daydreams' or something, and think we could put it out for 20th or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be like into it. You know? So
3: oh yeah, absolutely, totally. Yeah, stand by us. Um, and so it was, uh, it was interesting too. Cause I remember, um, so after, you know, last of the daydreams out and you guys, you know, did what you could to support it. And, you know, people, uh, you know, generally speaking that record, it was, you know, positively reviewed and people, you know, the only criticisms I really saw of it were people just like, Oh, it's so melodramatic. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like that, whatever you could say that about yeah. any, any record during that time period or a time period before that. But, um, the, you know, from what I recall, and you can obviously shoot me down if I'm completely wrong, but like, it seemed to me that there was, um, you know, like other labels were taking an interest in what you guys were doing because, you know, you were uh, for, you know, lack of a better term, you know, commercial, like you had singing, it wasn't like you were screaming, you know, um, and like, I remember like an eight song demo kind of floating around, whether it was like, that was a demo that you did for like, if I remember like Capital, I don't know if I'm way off base, but, um, does that, is that ring true at all?
1: Oh man. Uh, I think we, I remember they were looking for music for the second record because we signed a two record deal. And, uh, I mean, we were, we put out some EPs on, uh, some European, European labels as well. Just like... You know, they let us put out some EPs on other labels, which is pretty awesome. You know, like we should be actually trying to record a record. <laughs> but they let us do a bunch of stuff like that.
3: Well, and you, um, guys, but, and you guys did a split too with like Still Life Projector, if I'm not mistaken, right? You guys did, or yeah, some, we, yeah,
1: yeah, the split with those guys. Um, I don't even know how we met them. Like, yeah, I think yeah, Robbie from Sparkmarker was our manager at the time. Oh, we, got we, it. We worked at Network, and he just had his his mitts and a lot of things so it's like uh yeah i don't need that's they were cool guys we toured with them but um, yeah we didn't really know them that well but uh, um they were a decent band that was that's kind of like way after i think i remember that eight song demo thing and i think uh, rev was kind of like what the fuck are these songs <laughs> or something like that i can't remember because we just you know like when you're writing songs You just run like at the time it was like there was no Pro Tools. I I mean, no one really had Pro Tools, so like all I had, all we had, was these eight-track hard disk recorders. So we just you know record ideas down, not like full production. You know, so you got these ideas, and and really, the only people who can hear what these songs could turn into are like musicians, or like people on the same page at the time, like they, they know the potential of the songs. So I'm sure when we sent them like these ideas, like just guitar and maybe like some some shaker <laughs> something in the back for percussive, like they were like, "What the fuck are these?" Like, like they're, just, they're, I think they got a little pissed off, but uh, but they didn't really understand that like, these are going to be rock songs. Uh, so and that's that's another thing like um, labels only hear what they hear; they don't really use their imagination. Um, they're not as creative as us music types you know, sometimes. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's another thing that we learned is like, if you're going to show demos, make sure you do like proper demos. Like, or else,
3: well, but, you did, but you guys had like, cause they're, you know, uh, from the only reason that I had these songs was, um, you know, just because I had already made, you know, pledged my fandom for buy a thread and you know, my, I can, honestly, I can't, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, air out a person that worked at Rev that gave me the songs. I can't remember if it was <laughs> I can't remember if it was Vic or somebody. They you know oh, they, they basically burned me those songs and were just like, listen, like you know, don't share these with anybody. And you know, th- th- but I was like, uh, but they, they were like full fledged demos. It was like an eight song thing. And I and uh, you know some of those songs oh. some of those songs ended up being on the you know the the second full length you guys put out. Um,
1: okay, so yeah, those are the those are that was after that right. little few.
3: So. Okay, got it, got it.
1: So we actually went in and did full pre-production for the last record, and uh, we recorded that, and that's what we sent them.
3: Ah, okay, got
1: it. I, yeah, can, so that's can, a learning experience, right,
3: right, right. No, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that because yeah. I, I just, I, but I just remember. For whatever reason, and it was probably just conjecture or rumor, where it was like these, you know, these songs that you were doing were, uh, you know, ostensibly to shop it around and you know see if there's like any major label interest or anything. That was just like that's not true.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I think that we were looking for a change at the time, but uh, got it. I don't. There's no way that we can. I don't think we were, attempting to, you know, stray at that point with the, with those demos. Like, if anything, we'd want the record, the finished product to kind of uh, lead the way, um, you know, send that around. And I think we tried, but then that kind of fizzled out at the point, at that point, and we're just like kind of done with it all together. So that's kind of how it goes. Okay.
3: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and so yeah you know the things you know didn't uh rise to the next level with Biothread you know there was a lot of you know from what i say on the outside of things there was a lot of you know stops and starts and um you know once you guys released the um you know the second full length rev was in a completely different place as far as their business structure and you know releasing records wasn't as important to them as it once was because they kind of you know remodeled the label so to speak um so you know was it uh, you know, I guess, was it kind of a, 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 frustrating end in a way to buy a thread? Um, you know, or, or am I just kind of putting words in your mouth or was it one of those things where, um, you know, it just kind of the, the way that things kind of ended was sort of logical in your own head.
1: No, they were definitely not, not logical. Okay, um, it's, it was a thing where it's like, you know, um, we've had a lot of, a lot of weird experiences at the time and, we were trying to push for the next level, like trying to trying to do the whole commercial thing. Robbie was really into that um, as our manager, and uh, he was he was doing a great job trying to get us uh, some shows, you know, for some record execs. And uh, we played actually this. We were on tour with Still Life Projector, but then we had this one show in at the Troubadour. It was during the day, and the night before we played some gig out in the mojave desert somewhere i can't i can't some some CD bar i can't remember but we played there and i think like the place was half filled and the owner was really pissed off but uh, uh for some reason i don't know what happened like it, it, my guitar went missing and it was you know it was my beloved 71sg like all you know ready for tour and uh, i knew this guitar like I could trust it. I could just bash on it, and uh, it was gone. And the next, the next night, we had a show at, uh, at the Troubadour for these record execs. Like pretty much everyone, you know, came to this show, and it was just them. Like it was really there's a lot of pressure. So we got this uh, Les Paul um, that we had floating around for a second guitar. We had that thing set up, but I had no idea. Like I didn't. I didn't know if I could trust this guitar. I don't know if, you know, the way we play pretty hard, we kind of smash our shit around. So like, (laughs) like, uh, well, so we, we played the show and I was bummed out. I was like, I was pretty much ready to call it like like, fuck, fuck music, fuck everything. You know, I was pissed off. My guitar has gone. And then, uh, yeah, so we played the show and, uh, you know, first couple, I think it was actually the first song, the actual, the, uh, the strap bolt pulled right out of the guitar, and my guitar just went bling on the ground. And I look like a fucking fruit. <laughs> I look like a idiot. So it's like, ah. Oh. And I'm I'm trying to put it together. These these guys from all these records, like it's a dream show. You know, it's like wow, this is insane. There's so much pressure here. I'm dying. I'm like going beat red. Um, voices kind of drying up. And this is my take on it. I don't know. I don't know if the other guys are, you know, what their take is. But uh, at the end of the show, it felt like we just missed our opportunity, you know, and and I guess we did. So <laughs> I don't know if it was my fault or if it was just, you know, maybe they're just not feeling the music at the time. But uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think we heard from those guys. We may have heard from maybe one of them or two of them, but the way they work, they all kind of have to be interested, or else no one is interested. So. Um I don't know what could have spawned from that like, we, could we be on some crazy tours right now as a band still writing and making money or something like is it do you really make money on these huge labels or do you just go into debt and you know so it's I don't know, so it's a little bitter that that was sort of coming to the end of the whole thing,
3: so yeah, yeah, well, I mean it is frustrating too because you um. Yeah, when you put a lot of work into something and you know it doesn't, uh, not even it doesn't pan out the way that you want it to, but it you know you don't feel like you had a, a fair swing at it, Um, you know, either through circumstances or you know a variety of different reasons. Uh, I can understand the the thought process of what you're talking about, where it's just like, oh yeah, just don't don't feel like we had a fair shake, and that's a little frustrating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean that continues for in life, regardless. You know, it's like yeah. Life is not fair, and that's and that, you know what's things have happened to me since those times that are similar. You know, I can like, hey, that's kind of similar to that, and you just learn from it and you move on. It's, it's really hard not to get emotional, especially when it's like like your life's work and everything's kind of kind of made its way to that point in time. You know, it's like is this supposed to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it meant to be? You know, and uh, I don't I don't know. Even if they, if that show went well, if, if we got signed, if it would have done anything for us, like it's, it was so far away from our mindset. We we're hardcore guys, so like, um, we're not into this top forty shit. And our music didn't really belong on the radio at the time. Like it's hard to believe, but like people weren't really putting out music. They weren't playing music like ours. Like, they didn't know what to do with it. Like it was still like a strange thing. Like not many bands play that kind of aggressive, aggressive sort of melodic thing. Our, our songs, we started structuring them in, in that sort of way. Um, you know, like verse chorus, verse chorus kind of thing, just to make them understand it a little bit more. So in a sense, we, I felt that we, the, the push towards, you know, the being on the radio or being on, you know, trying to do it for real, like, you know, as a professional musician, that way, like, I mean, you, could, you could be a professional musician and being independent, no problem. But we were trying to go that route. And I think it kind of destroyed us, you know? Yeah.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, you know, a little bitterness. Sure. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then you have all these experiences with these records, with these execs and they promise you the world. And then, you know, the, the label gets bought out by some other huge, corporation and then that guy's gone You're like shit or like you know they, they just promise you the world and they don't give it to you kind of thing and like you just and they start turning against you or i don't know it's just such a weird scene like i like guess so alien to us
3: totally yeah well it's it's the music business and that's that's the whole side that you know doesn't they don't um, they don't have to own ownership over what it is that they're saying or promising because you know it's all just conjecture it's a guessing you know it's not like <laughs> it's not like they have to produce that sort of stuff especially when it's you know at the end of the day for many people it's just a job you know so exactly um and so then yeah so as you know as, as things transition out from uh, buy a thread um you know like did you i, do, I presume you still live in vancouver
1: Yes, I still haven't left Vancouver.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, do, I don't mean that still. Like, you know, some people oh, are like, no, oh, no. you yeah. see. <laughs> oh, cool. You, you yeah. haven't left Vancouver, dude? What a loser. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I've thought about it on many occasions. So. <laughs> right. Uh, happened. Um, and
3: you get, because you guys did, uh, you guys played that RevFest in Chicago, correct? Like a couple of No, years that
1: was another disappointment.
3: You guys were, you guys were supposed to, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we were we were supposed to, so we got the band back together, got you know, the guys together and we got Kelly back in. Ed, Ed, Kelly was kicked out of the band because he didn't want to come on tour and he just wanted to work some job, but he actually quit the band, but at the same time, kind of, you know, it was mutual. But, uh, that was, that was the Rev showcase show in, uh, New York that we played that first show for Rev. He, he like canceled that last minute and we we're like, fuck this guy, you know? Um, like so, Theo from Gob joined um, for just for that show, and he played that show pretty awesome. But I uh, you know. We had kind of this. We we're like, oh, you know, he kind of let us down, kind of thing. Um. So we 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 went on a different direction with the bass player. And uh, when it came to that time, which is like I don't know, seven years after, I guess <laughs> I don't even know. It. Um. We decided to call on him again to play. So we wanted the the original lineup for Last of Daydreams to play the show in Chicago. So we, we were preparing and I was sounding really great. It's great to hear the songs again. And like, wow, we, we wrote this stuff. Like we just kind of, like, yeah, I'm so, it was so intricate compared to even the stuff that I'm playing these days. Like it's way different kind of feel to it. You got to really pay attention to your playing. But, uh, Yeah, so Kelly again approached the time where we're like, okay, if I buy some plane tickets, let's do this. And uh, he's just like, oh, I gotta, I can't go like last minute. I gotta work this job. Like, same thing. And so we were left holding the bag.
3: Got it. That's a bummer.
1: It's a bummer. I don't want to talk bad about him. He's like, he's a great dude, and it's just, you know, a challenging time in his life, I'm sure. But uh, at the same time, it's like, these moments are what well, while we're alive. Yeah. <laughs> like you are here on this planet to experience things. Like sure. you know, with your brothers and like, that's pretty pretty big bummer. We were and then that was another kind of nail in it. It was like fuck, Black Thread's cursed, you yeah. know.
3: Yeah. If we can't, right. If we can't, if we can't get together for one show, it's like, yeah, this, you know, we put so much effort into it. So yeah, no, I totally understand. Um, and so then as you transition kind of out of the, you know, day to day band life in regards to, you know, touring and writing music, I mean, I'm sure you still, you know, uh, creatively contribute to a musical perspective, but you know, how like, what do you do for, for a job now? And like, you know, cause, and you have a family now, correct as well? No, I don't have. That. Oh, for some reason I was, yeah, just I don't, whatever. I put I put children in your life, and I didn't need to. So.
1: <laughs> my brother has a, my brother has a family. Oh, okay, uh, got, got it. Sean Sean doesn't either, so like, yeah, we're, we can still go on tour if we wanted to. Right. <laughs> 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 Somehow. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, t- yeah, so right now I'm, uh, you know, I guess after after By Thread ended, I was kind of in limbo. I was like, what am I going to do? And I was just, you know, obviously we're bummed. Um, you know when when we when we when it was actually over me and my Brother, like we were trying out other members because Sean actually left the band, and obviously he's like a really important member in the band, <laughs> in the songwriting process and everything. Like, his vision is, I mean, he named the band after, you know, he named the band, and it's uh, it sucked to 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 have him gone, and then uh, our bass player left shortly after. And, uh, me and my brother were like, hey, what are we going to do? Try some new guys out. So we attempted, but we just couldn't get that same feeling. Like they just weren't down with us. And I mean, we tried maybe three different guys out and I remember it was Christmas time sometime and we were just so bummed. Like, whoa, <laughs> we we're <just> so bummed. <laughs> like it's over. Like, fuck. So I continued, uh, working this job on the downtown east side, the seedy part of Vancouver you were talking about earlier. <laughs> Love, um, it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so back down there, and uh, it's like, what am I doing with my life? And So I decided to go to uh, uh, sound school for visual arts. Oh, cool. And uh, just do stuff, you know, try to get into video games and movies, sound movies and video games and stuff. So I graduated from there, and uh, went on. After that, I, just, I found it kind of tough to get into the industry, so I just uh, went into the in- industry that I knew the best, and that was music. So I started producing and recording bands around town.
3: Oh, nice! So, like, yes, yeah, you have, you, yeah you, do you have your own studio and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, well, I had like hookups for some cool places, sure. You know, the big studios in town, which was pretty cool. So, using my ByThread, you know, connections, I was able to. Um, get into some awesome studios and hone my craft and it was it was awesome and then you know i, I it's, and it's the same thing you start meeting people and they start promising you stuff and then it kind of goes to shit and uh it's like it's like the music business part of it and it's like what the hell is going on yeah. why are people flaky like uh, so uh I just kinda of stopped doing that. I was just kinda of done auto tuning people's voices that they can you know, people that can't sing. So God I can't do this anymore, man. So uh I got into post for uh the movies. So post production sound. So that's what I'm doing now.
3: Nice. That's um, cool. Yeah. That's cool, yeah. Well I always I always like it too when people people that have the experience within the you know independent punk and hardcore community go and work with people who have no experience with that and how that cultural um difference of people like i i just see it happen all the time where you know because you and i came from this particular scene you know if something comes across our desk in a in our professional life and it's like Oh, like, I don't know how to do this, but like, I'll try to figure it out. You know, like you'll, you, th- it, there's really never the, Oh, it's not my job scenario where it's like, you know, our first instinct is to like, try to figure it out as opposed to, I don't know how to do that. Whatever. Someone else can worry about that, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I could, I could relate to that for sure. <laughs> right.
3: So uh-huh. I just, I, I just like that because then people see, you know, people like yourself, being you know like proactive in in some capacities, and then it's just like oh wow like that that that's cool like how do you, <laughs> the question that I see ha- happen so often with people that come from our scene are just like oh like how do you do so much or like what do you what do you mean you like playing a band too it's like yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I just I, I do that as well and it's like wait what how do you do those two things it's like it's pretty simple like you just do it
1: <laughs> yeah I mean there's so much I mean there's there should be more time in the day but I mean, there's always some downtime. You just don't really have downtime. Just don't play your video games or whatever the hell you do. Like go do something like be in the band or I don't know. Like there's a lot of time during the day for you to find some stuff, but depending on your schedule. So
3: yeah, for sure. Yeah. Be be, be, be productive, you know? <laughs> exactly. Boom. There you have it. That was Mr. John Franco. And thank you very much to him, to Rich Hall, to everybody else who uh, helped this convo happen. I loved it. So much fun. And uh, I hope that By Thread plays some shows because that would be, uh, yeah, really fun to see those guys again play the uh, the hits, so to speak. So, yeah, like I said, if you have not listened to By Thread, please, please, please do yourself a favor and listen to them because, um, yeah, I think the music and the records have not aged uh, badly, you know, because there are some records where you're in, in the deepest recesses of your brain. You're like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't recommend this to a 17-year-old. Maybe I shouldn't recommend this to a 20-year-old or whatever. They're just, you know, the the recording quality is not that good. The songs don't, you know, get viewed the same way through another person's lenses. But, uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly think that uh, Thread would be enjoyed by anybody. So that's what we got with that. What is up with the show next week, you ask? Well... This was a special, fun episode that I did. It was the, it's the best of 2007. You guys want to go 10 years in the past and talk about music? Hell yeah, why not? So I brought in, of course, the people that I love doing lists with: my old friends Joey Cahill of Six One Three One Records and Jeremy Boehm of Touche Amore. We revisit our 2007 like best of lists, and there is some pure comedy and. Fun And we just have great conversations. It was a really, really fun episode. Uh, This I have to give all credit to Joey Cahill for putting this all together as far as the idea is concerned. And then, uh, yeah, we did it. So we're probably going to do more because we had so much fun. So we'll do 2008, maybe 2009, you know, at some point in the near future. So that's what we got in the show next week. And then, uh, yeah, we'll return to some uh, regularly scheduled interviews. All right. So I got some fun, fun episodes in store. And uh, yeah, until then, please be safe, everybody.
2: You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. <clears throat> the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless.